1: what would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDIC. Nelson, we have a podcast. Diving diving deep, deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast. And pro football hall of famer, the general, Sean McClain. Welcome to Utopia. All right, John. Are you ready to do a little mailbag action? Absolutely. Let's do it. Um, we got to, We start off with a couple of emails from outside of the United States. Dario Guerra in Mexico says, I've been lucky enough to travel to some Texan games, but the next one is special. My wife, kids, and I will make the road trip from Monterey up to Houston and take my three-year-old son to his first Texans game uh, when they play the Broncos on Sunday. I'm really looking forward for this father-and-son time, but since I haven't been in NRG Stadium since 2019, can I have some pregame and post game recommendations. Also, what suggestions do you have for things to do while I'm in town, John? What would you suggest to Dario that he do before and after the game?
0: Dario, before the game, I would come outside the Bud Plaza uh, that faces uh, 610, and I would go down to the to the touchdown alley or whatever they call it to the Sports Radio 610 stage, in which you'll find Sean Pendergast and Seth Payne for a three hour pregame. I'll be on there 11, 15, uh, 45 minutes before the kickoff and come over there and introduce yourselves because Seth and Sean, during breaks, go out and talk to people in the audience. I'm happy to do it too. As far as what doing inside the stadium, I'm
1: well, Hang never- on real quick, John, before we get before we yeah. get to that, it's because you said in, in Bud Light Plaza. We're not in Bud Light Plaza. No, anymore. you're
0: outside, facing we're outside. Bud Light Plaza. Yeah, yeah,
1: we're outside. We're We're right along what they call the boulevard Right across, you'll see it, Dario. It's a huge stage with me and Seth and and at eleven fifteen, John up there talking. It's right across from the huge Modelo activation. That it's on the Astrodome side. Yep, Astrodome side. Continue, John. You were going to talk about inside the stadium.
0: Inside, I don't know because I'm I'm never go inside the stadium up to the press box, but coming there depends on where you're staying. If you're staying close to the stadium, as far as restaurants and stuff like that, you can't go wrong. But I always tell people when they ask me what to do in Houston, I say, "Well, where are you staying?" That's the first thing, and then I'll give them places that are that are within, within close proximity of their hotels.
1: Yeah, I would say here, here's what I would say: You definitely, definitely, Dario, stop by the pregame show and say hi to us. Please do that. We'll take some pictures. We'll bring your son up on the stage, and we'll we'll take some fun pictures with him during a break in the pregame show. So I would say that for sure. I would say, too, if Dario, if you're on social media, you're on Twitter, reach out to Stephanie Stradley on social media. She's sort of the unofficial kind of people coming in from foreign countries that are Texan fans contact. And she can get you. She she and some friends throw a big tailgate in the blue lot there. So, you know, and and I know you got a three-year-old son with you, so cutting super loose in the parking lot tailgating may not be on your agenda, but you'll be able to at least enjoy some fellowship on a Sunday morning with some Texan fans. So I would reach out to Stephanie Stradley on social media. Um, and the other thing I would say, if you're looking Hold for suggestion-
0: it's at Steph Stradley, if you want to yep. DM her,
1: thank you. There you go. So at Steph Stradley on Twitter. Um, I would say too, you know, if you're, if you're staying in town for part of the week, like after the game or whatever, uh, and you got your three-year-old with you. NASA is always pretty cool. Right, right John? Go, go, go do a little space program stuff. Zoo
0: lights over at the Houston Zoo. You got to get uh, a reservation. That's a great yep. thing at Christmas. The Galleria is lit up like crazy. So is downtown Memorial City. I love to ride around with Carol looking at Christmas decorations.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, there's a few things you can do while you're in town. Dario, we hope to see you out at the game <clears throat> this Sunday. Dennis is in Budapest, John. John, we are so global, it's, it's crazy. Um, Dennis is a Texan fan in Budapest, and he gives us a For Real or Fugazi. So you ready to stretch out your hamstrings for Thursday's episode, John, with a For Real or Fugazi?
0: First of all, I'd like to say for Budapest, uh, one of my favorite shows, FBI International, created by Baylor grad Derek Ass, is based in Budapest, and I can't wait till it starts back up.
1: Okay, well, there you go. There's that. Are you ready to do a For Real or Fugazi, John?
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay, Bet Dennis says this, for real or Fugazi, the Jags' loss is better in the long term for this Texans team as having to fight harder for their playoff chances gives them more valuable long-term lessons as opposed to getting to the driver's seat already. For fugazi. real or Fugazi?
0: They <laughs> wanted to win it. that game. They wanted to yeah, win the course. division this year, which no. means they play a first-place schedule next year. So they found out this year, you know, they – they didn't capitalize on playing the worst division in football. They went two and two with losses to Atlanta and Carolina on the road yeah. with field goals. No time left. You know, they like to have those back. So it's going to be one. tougher next season. So ultimately if they don't win the division, there are some positives to that, but man, you always want to win the division.
1: Yeah. I, Dennis, I I admire your coping mechanism that you have here for losing to Jacksonville <laughs> in that all important game. But, uh, but no, it's not. I'm, I'm with John on that one. That's a fugazi for me. Uh, loyal listener Chris in the ATL, loyal mailbag emailer as well, says, I know Slowick is getting a lot of criticism for this past game, and he should with certain play calls. But if you go back to the first game against the Jags and compare the box score and team stats from this past one, there's a lot of similarities. In both games, the Texans had three offensive TDs. They had over 350 yards of offense and averaged over six yards per play. The Excuse me. The key difference was the fluke kickoff return by Beck, and three field goals by Fairbairn. Technically, Amendola left six points off the board in this game. Two questions from that. Out of all the injured Texans, is Fairbairn the most needed player to return right now? I know where you feel about this, John.
0: Yeah, I've thought that all along because there's yep. so many close games. You need a field goal kicker you can rely on, and they don't have one. And they've had eight games, seven games. The last seven have been decided in the last 30 seconds, and they certainly could have used Fairbairn kicking at the end of the Carolina and Atlanta games, instead of them doing it, they got one spot left and they're holding it for him.
1: And we should mention Amendola got waived yesterday, but they're going to, if he, when he clears waivers, no one's picking him up. They're going to put him back on the practice squad. Does that mean we see him again on Sunday with the elevation from the practice squad, John? Cause they had, they had signed him to the 53 man roster when they put, Fairbairn on injured reserve. What 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 are you hearing or what do you what would you speculate? Do you think there's tryouts going on today with kickers over there?
0: Yeah, they had they had I think Brent Mar- Barr in there. It Brent or okay. Brad, I can't even remember. But D'Amico said he's our kicker. He said it yesterday. Wow. So, if he says he's our kicker, I believe it. By the way, brought up about Bobby Slowick. Yeah. I would see so many people blasting Slowick for Stroud throwing deep on third and one and fourth and one. He didn't call deep passes on third and fourth and one. Those were CJ's decision. And I asked D'Amico and I knew he wasn't going to say anything. He said, well, we'll have to look at it. And we'll ask Bobby Sloick on Thursday and he's going to take the heat, but that's Stroud making those decisions and those are rookie decisions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do think Slowick deserves some criticism for being in shotgun on third. I and, agree. Take away the quarter quarterback and sneak.
0: Take away yeah. the possibility of a handoff. I never like short yardage in the
1: shotgun. Yeah, I, I think he deserves criticism for that. No the other question that empty backfield in the shotgun right. in short yardage in short yardage, or down near the goal line. Absolutely, no question. The other the other question that Chris has: If Fairbairn were healthy, do you think Slowick would have called plays differently in certain situations, knowing he had a more reliable kicker? I didn't see anything. No. on Sunday John where I felt like Matt Amendola's presence changed the way slow it called plays or D'Amico decided what to do in certain down and distance situations did you
0: no not at all in the last field goal he missed the first half of 50 yards the last time Fairbairn kicked a field goal it was 50 yards but somehow he got hurt on his quad injury uh maybe high-fiving people as he was coming off at halftime <laughs> but uh I think they would have scored a few more points. Now, in fairness, to Amendola he kicked yeah. a 38-yard field goal to win a road game against the Bengals, so he has he has done something positive.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, uh, J.R. Cortez in Spicewood, Texas, says two questions. In light of Frank Reich getting fired yesterday, I wonder who has more regret: the Browns with the Deshaun Watson trade or the Panthers? with the hiring of Reich and the trade-up for Bryce Young. I wouldn't trade places with either of those fan bases right now. John, who do you think has more regret over their decisions, the Haslams with Deshaun Watson or David Tepper with the cumulative decisions of Frank Reich and giving up all that, all those assets to go get Bryce Young?
0: Well, I think David Tepper would. I saw somebody today goes, well, that's news about the fact they were talking to the Texans and, about, and the Bears about trading up number one or number two. Ryan Pauls had already talked about that, so it wasn't news. So uh, Tepper.
1: Tepper talked about it before. I know you're referring to his press conference today. Yeah. But he talked about it back at the draft, too.
0: And uh, so I would think if you're a fan of the Panthers, and not because of Bryce Young. Bryce Young may go to the Hall of Fame. It's ridiculous for people to write him off at this point, considering he doesn't have talent around him. I thought it was very interesting in his news conference that I heard on NFL radio, first time he talked to Frank Reich, he called him Reich. And uh, and then uh, they, they're in a terrible situation for drafting players. And there's talk over there that Ben Johnson, the most coveted coordinator in the NFL from Detroit, that he might come home to North Carolina. If he's got a brain, he's not going to work for David Tepper. He's going to Chargers and, and coach Justin Herbert yeah. and the talent that the Chargers have. Not going to Carolina, and people say what's gone on with Tepper will hurt them from getting a coach. That's what they were saying this time last year. What's happened with the Texans to go from David Cully and they look like they're going to fire Lovey Smith and Ryan Bill O'Brien was fired. Who'd want to work for that organization? They're not going to get a good coach,
1: John. Um, is Ben Johnson the, 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 the D'Amico Ryans of this hiring cycle?
0: Yeah, until we saw him on Thanksgiving. No, they, uh, I think yes. He interviewed with the Texans. They were very impressed. They interviewed a great group. I wrote a column that's on SportsRadio610.com about what would have happened if the McNairs had hired Peyton and the Walmart Airs had hired D'Amico because mm. D'Amico interviewed two places. He turned down everybody else. Peyton interviewed here on Zoom. And then, of course, he was – hired up there. When D'Amico was announced on the 31st, Peyton revealed he was going to Denver, even though it wasn't official till three days later. And yes, the Broncos did, as Ian Rappaport reported, make a late run at Mm D'Amico. And uh, Jimmy Sachs and his agent told him he could get a little more money. D'Amico said, no. This is where I want to be. I'm Giving him my word. I'm taking this job. And which is just another reason to love D'Amico Ryans, if you're a fan. But they're in trouble over there because they gave up all those picks. They gave up a one, two, and a three in their best in their best receiver. And now they're hurting. They've had two linemen go out. Their line is not near as good as they thought it would be. Their best skill position player will be 35 next year, Adam Thielen. And the only other thing they could do, Sean, would be, remember there were reports the Rams offered them two ones and something else for Brian Burns? see if they can come up with something for Brian Burns and use those assets to help Bryce Young.
1: Mm, Man, they are in a rough spot. It's bleak. It's bleak. You're absolutely right. Other question from JR. He says, with five of the top six picks from this year playing a big role on Sunday, Texan draft picks he's talking about, is this season the best performance by a rookie class in team history?
0: Right now it is, but they're going to have to surpass 2006 draft with uh, Mario Williams and D'Amico Ryans, Owen Daniel, Eric Winston, and Charles Spencer was starting a left tackle till he had a terrible, terrible leg injury that ruined his career. Day, your buddy David Anderson was yeah. there. Yep. Uh, but because this one's got a great quarterback and uh, plus players at other positions, even Xavier Hutchinson had, what, a 34-yard yeah, catch. yeah. I, they don't have any room for him, but I'm eager to see what he can do after what he did at Iowa State and the yeah. chances he's gotten this year. Nick Casario, working with D'Amico Ryan's, has had the, maybe uh, the best draft in franchise history, maybe one of the best ever.
1: John, I the question was: Is this the best performance by a rookie class in team history? Obviously, how they obviously how they look over five or six years is a different question. That 2006 class, clearly the best class over the course of their careers as Houston Texans. I don't even know. Like, I, I know D'Amico won defensive rookie of the year that year, and I know Mario Williams was, you know, maybe not number one overall pick good, but he showed some signs in his rookie year. He had
0: two rookie starting tackles, taking one, two in the third round.
1: Right, right. Yes. But I don't even, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's not close. Like, Will Anderson is third for defensive rookie of the year right now. They just shut down the offensive rookie of the year because CJ is so dominant tank. Dell is going to be a thousand yard receiver this year. Like I, I feel like if you took those two rookie classes and you did like a big, but you combine them. And I know we've only got 10 games or 11 games worth of this class, but let's pretend it's an 11 game season and the season's over. And you were to power rank the performances of the rookies in those, in those two rookie classes. I feel like three of the top four are guys in this class. You know, D'Amico's the only one that cracks the top four of to me uh, in this of the rookies in these classes. They had five
0: starters out of that draft uh, mm-hmm. uh, when the season began. This one's better because it's Stroud. Take Stroud That's out tough. of it yeah. with no quarterback, and I I can't see that this one is better than than that one.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, clearly, C.J. is the catalyst for 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 my take on this whole thing. Um. All right. Our guy Rick Tindall has a question, John. Hey, Rick. Thanks for listening. It's a question about the Cougs. He's a big Coug. Rick Tindall is talk about the candidates for the university of head university of Houston head coaching job. He says, Jeff trailer, UTSA, Willie Fritz of Tulane and Gary Patterson's name has now come up. John former TCU coach as a possibility for the Cougs. If you were, if you were uh Chris Pesman and Tillman Fertita and everybody, Reina Couture, uh, making all these decisions, how would you power rank those candidates right there?
0: If I'm U of H, I want somebody with a great relationship with Texas high school coaches like Jeff Traylor at UTSA. Mm -hmm. Cliff Kingsbury's also been bandied about. He coached there. He has great connections from being at Texas Tech as a player and as a coach. And uh, Willie Fritz is the most successful. I think they're 10 and 1. Right now, I don't think they've played their conference championship game yet. He's 63. Don't know if they want to go to a coach who's 63 or if they want a younger guy. Trailer won three state championships at Gilmer. He's coached in colleges and is an assistant coach before UTSA. And a lot of it's going to have to do, U of H is going to have to come up with NIL money to recruit high school players in the number two recruiting market in the country, Houston. They're going to have to, and the, what Kelvin Sampson and the basketball program have done is tougher football coach because he's going to have to match everything that Kelvin's done. Maybe not being a final four participant every year, but just the kind of program he runs and the overall success. But I, in order, I would like it to be Fritz because he's had the best record. Trailer number two because of Trailer being uh, so successful at UTSA and having such strong high school background. And then I'd like to see Kingsbury before Patterson. And one reason I don't want Gary Patterson is he beat Baylor too much at TCU.
1: Well, he, I mean, but at the it wasn't good for Patterson at the end at TCU. You know, what I mean, like no, mean, it
0: wasn't. But he wants to come back, and I I just don't think they're going to go the Patterson angle. Don't know if it's Kingsbury. I'm guessing it's going to come down to Trailer and Fritz. and both of them have done tremendous jobs.
1: Yeah, I, I think Trailer would be a home run because of the recruiting aspect that you're talking about there. I think he'd, I think he'd be a great hire for the Kooks. Uh, a couple more here, John. Dave Howard uh, asks, I watched, or says, I watched the game on TV, which is notorious for rarely showing the defensive backfield during and after plays, except tight shots of catches or misses. As I was watching Stroud scramble for time, I wondered if the coverage was particularly tight. I also wondered if Stroud was gun shy this past week because of his picks. The previous week, you guys were at the game. What did you see? John, there were a lot of plays where CJ was moving around, buying time, buying time. Sometimes he threw it away. He threw it into traffic a couple times. Sometimes he completed balls. What did you see on Sunday from, from your vantage point up in the press box? Dave,
0: I've never thought for a moment that he was gun shy. I don't either. either. I, yeah, that's, Not that's at silly. all. Never yeah. heard it mentioned anywhere. You're the first person to bring it up. Yeah. I think that the pass protection was terrible. Too many times guys got beat immediately, and he was running immediately. And I thought he did a great job. Throw for over 300 yards two touchdowns, no turnovers, you run for a touchdown, you have the most yards rushing in the game and your season high. I thought he played a tremendous game under the circumstances and when he was under almost constant pressure, as opposed to Trevor Lawrence, who was under almost no pressure. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, it was those were not all coverage. I think they were all about the
1: protection. Yeah, Stroud, Strouds, a, he's, he's such a tremendous player. John, I, I tell you what, I do think one of the things that C.J. really misses, especially missed in this past game because he was doing a lot of buying of time and hoping guys would find their way open, he misses Noah Brown in those situations right now. You go back and watch that Cincinnati game, I believe it was, I think that was a game where Noah Brown had a hundred and something yards in that game. It might've been the, might've been yeah, the game. Back
0: before, back games.
1: It was against Tampa and, and Cincinnati. Noah Brown had two huge games back to back, but particularly in that Cincinnati or yeah, the, particularly in the Cincinnati game um, when CJ would do what he was doing on Sunday and buying time, it felt like there was at least four or five times in that game where Noah Brown worked his way back towards CJ and there were still big chunk plays 20, 25 yards every time. Um, but Noah Brown seems to be the one that he's got the best connection with when the play breaks down. Noah Brown seems to be the cagiest one in terms of finding a an open spot on the field somewhere that CJ's got a clean throwing lane to him. I think he misses Noah Brown. I think I, I definitely think he missed Noah Brown on Sunday against Jacksonville.
0: I think he missed him in those kind of situations. I don't know if I've seen a Texans receiver other than Andre Johnson, maybe DeAndre Hopkins, who had a knack for getting open down the field, not coming back to the ball, but running left or right. Now, Tank has an act for getting open down the field. Uh, And they'd love to have these receivers together for the first time since the first game or two, I think maybe since the first game. And also, one of the biggest surprises to me at that game was they didn't use Dalton Schultz, didn't target him, didn't target tight ends at all. Don't know if it's the game plan or if it was the coverage, but they got to get Dalton Schultz involved again.
1: Yeah, the Jags are not a good team covering tight ends, and Dalton Schultz was a non-factor in that game. You're right. That was strange. He was one of my keys to the game going into it on uh, on Friday well, last You were week.
0: right. Him not being a key to the game might have been the reason they lost.
1: Maybe. Maybe. All right, last one, John. Joe Q, frequent emailer to the podcast. Is Brock Purdy the biggest miss by the NFL scouting complex since Tom Brady?
0: Brady's the sixth round. Purdy's the seventh round. Um, Dak was in the fourth round. So, yes, Tom Brady – is the Brock Johnny Birdie. Unitas was an 18th round draft choice? They used to have 30 rounds like baseball, yeah. but in in the last 40 40 years, yes. Yeah. Purdy now is his second season because so it's early to say he's number two to Brady. But boy, if he keeps it up, he's gonna be in
1: the running. He's in the MVP conversation. He's putting up huge numbers. I can't I can't do the deep dive Joe Q did. John Joe Q sends in these charts that he puts together where he's comparing. Because I guess Brock Purdy has played 16 games now or 17. He's played the equivalent of a full season now. Brock Purdy has, you know, with his starts from last year, plus the starts from this year. It's the equivalent of one season. So Joe put a chart together where he compared Brock Purdy's first 16 games to the rookie seasons of several prominent quarterbacks of the last 20 years or so. And it is interesting to see how he stacks up. I would say, of all those teams, maybe other than Ben Roethlisberger when he was a rookie on the Steelers and they went 15 and one. I mean, Brock Purdy is probably on teams that are considerably better than a lot of the quarterbacks that were on the list. You know, a oh, lot of absolutely,
0: playmakers yeah, I mean, on every level. Great coaching yeah. staff. Had a great defensive coordinator last year. So he stepped into a great situation, just like Big Ben. They're like, oh, my God, he keeps falling, he keeps falling. Aaron Rodgers, oh, man, he was supposed to be the first pick. And, look, they dropped right into excellence.
1: Do you Tell me what you think about his follow-up question, Joe's follow-up question. Has Kyle Shanahan systematized NFL offense to the point where he can plug in a guy nobody wants and deliver elite results, almost like Moneyball in the NFL – and he goes on to ask, do you think they have the balls to trade Brock Purdy at some point for a whole bunch of draft capital and then plug somebody who's got far more physical talent like a Sam Darnold in? Not this year, obviously, but like in the future and let somebody else pay Brock Purdy $50 million a year or whatever it is. Or do you think if Brock Purdy keeps playing like this, they go ahead and pay him $50 million bucks a year?
0: Yeah, he can plug in anybody. Somebody like Trey Lance, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, so you need to pick the right guy. but uh, No, yeah. they're
0: not trading Brock Purdy. If they no. got a guy they like, they're going to keep him. They're not going to keep bouncing around quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. Uh, John, uh, what do you got going on on the uh, the website? You mentioned uh, the, the the one article um, that I know I want to talk to you about on our show tomorrow that you just mentioned. What what uh, your article that you got up on the website? It's
0: about uh, if Sean Payton had come to Houston and right. uh, Tomiko Ryan had gone to Denver, and that's I've a got, fun hypothetical. Yeah. I've got another one uh, based on what happened to the Texans in the game, and I'll have another one. Not sure about the topic yet, but I had a lot of fun uh, doing the one on. Peyton and Ryan's and both team are very happy. Both are candidates to be voted NFL coach of the year.
1: I'm John, I'm doing a piece on the Houston press for tomorrow or Thursday. I can't decide yet. Um, But is is C.J. Stroud versus Trevor Lawrence the first real marquee rivalry that we've had in the AFC South? You do, do that for Thursday.
0: Rest. I'll do it for Wednesday.
1: Is that what you <laughs> – no stealing time? No, it wasn't though.
0: until you just brought it up. That's a
1: great idea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, there hasn't the the closest thing we got, I think, was Deshaun and Andrew Luck for one year, and then Luck up up and retired. I think that that would have been the one. That would have been seeing Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck. Deshaun obviously had his own set of things going on, um, but seeing those two guys go at it twice a year, um, we've never had anything. I don't. We never had anything like Trevor Lawrence and C.J. Stroud what potentially they could be in the division. So I, that's that's what I'm going to write about, John. I
0: wonder when Vince Young was rookie of the year. And uh those six, who the other quarterbacks were. Would have been David Carr here, but I can't remember who it was in Indy. Was it a Gerard? Oh,
1: yeah. Was it David Garrard in, in, in well no in Indy? It, it was, was Peyton. Peyton Manning.
0: So it was yeah, it was Peyton and Vince Young for one year. For one it's year. Not, not what you're talking about. He got the yeah. best back here.
1: Yeah.
0: And I wish I'd have thought of that.
1: Well, you know, John, I have my moments.
0: Why don't you do it for Wednesday and I'll save it for later on?
1: Okay. <laughs> you well, change like, like, your Great work. minds just think alike. That's you? right.
0: That's right.